MSW Media. We'd like to thank our new sponsor, Microdose, for supporting the Daily Beans. Offer to learn more about microdosing THC, just go to microdose.com and use code DAILYBEANS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, December 8th, 2023. Today, Trump files a weird motion to halt all proceedings in his D.C. case while his appeal for total immunity is adjudicated. Ken Chasbro is on his way to Arizona to cooperate with the fraudulent elector investigation there. Biden will distribute taxpayer-funded pharmaceutical patents to the public to increase competition and lower drug prices. An ex-police chief has been sentenced to 11 years in prison for his role in January 6th. President Biden calls senators back to the drawing board to fund Ukraine before they leave for the holiday. A pregnant Texas woman has to go to court to get permission to get life-saving health care. And a group of nuns bought stock in Smith & Wesson so they could sue them to stop the manufacture of AR-15s. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Uh, First of all, we have some breaking news. Uh, David Weiss, as you know, is the uh, prosecutor who was appointed by Barr to investigate Hunter Biden. It's apparently filed more charges. I think this probably is Southern California tax-related charges. We will soon find out. This is a developing story. We still don't have the indictment. It hasn't been made public yet, but CNN in Paula Reed is breaking this news. There are more charges against Hunter Biden. And you know, the big old Joe Biden weaponized Department of Justice. Also, a couple notes on the April 20th DC gathering for patrons. There was a few questions that came in. First, please don't make non-refundable travel plans until you secure your RSVP. We haven't sent that link out yet because we want to give you all time to sign up to become a patron first, whether it's for the Daily Beans and Jack, which is a combo, or clean up on aisle 45. Cleanup has its own separate Patreon. We want to give you that time because there won't be an option to bring a plus one for this. If you want to bring your spouse or a partner or a friend, they need to sign up to be a patron too. And we thought about that. We thought about what would be the best way, uh, the fairest way. And we first thought we should allow a plus one, but that would cut in half the number of patrons that could attend. So we decided if you want to come, you got to be a patron since the event is free. We'll have other ticketed events where you can buy a ticket for a plus one, but this is the no cost thank you dinner and open bar for patrons. So I hope that makes sense. We're trying to be as fair as possible. I imagine we will be sending out the link to the RSVP sometime in January, maybe first week of February, so that everybody has time to sign up if you want to. And that's patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote for the Beans and Jack and patreon.com slash aisle45pod for cleanup on aisle45. You do not have to be a patron of both to be able to get the RSVP code here, just one. So you don't have to sign up for both. Just wanted to let you know. And thanks to everybody for giving me a chance to clarify all that. I'm doing my best to make it as simple and as fair as possible. All right, we have a lot of news to get to. Uh, Thanks for hanging in with me solo this week while Dana is out. Your support really means a lot to me. You'll notice today's show, by the way, does not include any news from the Washington Post in solidarity with the strike happening there. So it's time for the news. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. 
All right. First up, Donald Trump filed a pissy motion today to stay his entire D.C. coup case, not just the trial, but all the proceedings as well. And he wants that on hold, everything on hold while his appeal is adjudicated. He filed his notice to appeal to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals right before he filed his motion for a stay with the district court and Judge Chutkin. And he declared in his motion that Chutkin is no longer deciding anything because he's filed a notice to appeal, but then demanded she grant him a stay and declared that he was going to assume there's a stay in place unless he's told otherwise. But that's not how any of this works. Judge Chutkin responded to the motion by ordering briefs due. The first one is due by the Department of Justice this Sunday, and Trump's response is due on Tuesday. By the way, that's the same day his testimony is supposed to wrap up in the $250 million civil fraud trial brought by the New York Attorney General, which, by the way, an appeals court decided to that Trump's business license revocation can be on hold while the trial and appeal finish, but nothing else that the AG sought will be on hold. Pete and I will go over what that means for Trump and his businesses on the next cleanup on aisle 45. And of course, Andy and I will talk about this ridiculous motion to stay everything in the DC case on uh, this weekend's episode of Jack. All right, with all that out of the way, I'm bringing back the Fantasy Indictment League. That's right. I am firing up the Fantasy Indictment League because of a story in the Arizona Republic today. Last week, a key figure in the 2020 fake elector scheme traveled to Nevada, where this week six fake electors were indicted. Trump-aligned lawyer Kenneth Chesbro wrote memos detailing how Republicans could send false slates of presidential electors to Congress in an attempt to give Trump the win or at least a delay in the January 6th certification of Joe Biden's victory. And on Monday, this Monday, The cheese is scheduled to travel to Arizona to meet with investigators there from Attorney General Chris Mays' office. Meanwhile, in Wisconsin, 10 fake electors settled a civil lawsuit this week, admitting their actions were part of a scheme to overturn Biden's victory. It appears those fine patriots who tried to steal Arizona's vote in the 2020 election may finally get their day in court to explain how they were trying to make America great again by making democracy a thing of the past. Mays vowed during her campaign last year to investigate Arizona's fake electors after her Republican predecessor, Mark Burnovich, neglected to do so, busy as he was chasing after Trump's approval for his ill-fated U.S. Senate campaign. The Democratic attorney general assigned a team of prosecutors to investigate in May, and it appears Mays is inching ever closer to indictments with a little help from Georgia. Chesbro in October pled guilty to conspiracy to commit filing false documents in Fulton County and agreed to testify against his fellow co-conspirators in order to avoid prison. He also agreed to turn over all emails and text messages to prosecutors. Now he's apparently coming clean about his part in the conspiracy elsewhere. Nevada is the third state to bring criminal charges against fake electors following Michigan and Georgia. Chesbro is listed as a witness in those indictments. And Arizona? He will be here on Monday. My client, Kenneth Cheesebro, will travel anywhere in the United States to tell the truth about what happened leading up to the events of January 6th. That's Robert Langford, his Nevada attorney. And Cheesebro's testimony could be key. According to his Fulton County, Georgia indictment, 
one of Chesbro's memos, provided details, state-specific instructions for how Trump's presidential elector nominees in Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin would meet and cast their electoral votes for Trump, even though he lost the election in those states. I, for one, and this is Lori Roberts from AZ Central speaking here, I, for one, she said, would love to know how that evolution played out here in Arizona, specifically how Arizona's 11 Trump electors came to be meeting at a state Republican Party headquarters on December 14th, signing documents falsely claiming to be the duly elected and qualified electors to cast the electoral votes for the guy who didn't win. How these quote-unquote patriots, including two who are now state senators, Jake Hoffman and Anthony Kern, the now former chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party, Kelly Ward, and top executive with Turning Point USA, Tyler Boyer, came up with the same wild idea that just coincidentally occurred to Republicans in six other swing states, one by Biden. Or how, even as those phonies were meeting in Phoenix to cast their non-existent votes for Trump, across town, a group of Republican legislators were signing a letter to Vice President Mike Pence and Congress urging them to accept Arizona's alternate electoral votes. In all, 29 incoming and outgoing Republican legislators signed the request, calling it a joint resolution of the 54th legislature and attaching the state seal so it would look official. The plot involved more than just the 11 electors. And uh, Andy and I are going to talk more about this story on this weekend's episode of Jack. Next up from Ryan Riley and NBC, a former California police chief who called for the execution of Donald Trump's political enemies joined the U.S. Capitol attack and then spread conspiracy theories about January 6th. He was sentenced to more than 11 years in federal prison on Thursday. His name is Alan Hostetter. He was found guilty in July on charges of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an official proceeding, entering or remaining on restricted grounds with a deadly or dangerous weapon, he had a hatchet, and disorderly or disruptive conduct on restricted grounds with a deadly or dangerous weapon. He represented himself at a bench trial before U.S. District Judge Royce Lamberth, a Ronald Reagan appointee, who sentenced him to 135 months on Thursday. Hostetter, who was the chief of the La Habra, California Police Department in 2010, was arrested in June of 2021. Like GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy and many far-right members of Congress, Hostetter has spread conspiracy theories about the attack on January 6th, Ramaswamy said without evidence during the Republican debate Wednesday night that January 6th looks like it was an inside job, while Hostetter said during his trial that he believed that the entire thing was staged. Hostetter, who was found to have carried a hatchet during the attack, brought up Ramaswamy's debate comments at his sentencing hearing on Thursday. Quote, these conspiracy theories are no longer fringe, he said, noting Ramaswamy's comments specifically. And you have to know by now that Ramaswamy's comments during that debate, he is an op. He, Ramaswamy is an op to seed these conspiracy theories on behalf of people like Peter Thiel or Thiel or whatever that guy's name is. It's an op. But anyway, quote, the election was stolen. You have presidential candidates saying that openly during the debate. At some point, the truth is going to be coming out. <laughs> You're going to jail, my man. Hostetter also noted that Speaker Mike Johnson uh, and his decision to release January 6th video, which has sparked additional unsupported conspiracy theories, he noted that. Hostetter also found a group called the American Phoenix Project, which protests COVID restrictions and denied the 2020 election results. 
He recorded a video after Trump lost the election in which he said that, quote, traitors need to be executed and promoted January 6th as the final day when patriots could make their stand. Quote, choke that city off, fill it with patriots. Then those people behind the walls of the Senate and the House are going to be listening to us chanting outside those walls. That's what Hossetter said in a speech ahead of the attack that was cited by prosecutors. Quote, and they're going to realize we have one choice. We either fix this mess and keep America America, or we become traitors. And those five million people outside the walls are going to drag us out by our hair and tie us to a fucking lamppost. That's their option. All right. Some people at the highest levels need to be made an example of with an execution, one or two or three. That's what he said in a video he recorded in November 2020. Tyrants and traitors need to be executed as an example. Nobody pulls this shit again. Now, federal prosecutors had asked for a little over 12 and a half years in federal prison, saying that he conspired, collected weapons, and traveled to Washington with the plan of using the threat of violence to stop the peaceful transfer of power. And at a hearing Thursday, Assistant U.S. Attorney Anthony Mariano said that Hostetter made himself a poster child for January 6th conspiracy theories and that he spent time promoting the dangerous lie that January 6th was a false flag operation. Hostetter said at the hearing he believed January 6th was a setup by the CIA, the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Security, all run by Trump at the time. Uh, He said that he believed crisis actors and federal informants were involved. Yet the attack was a false flag and that the death of Trump supporter Ashley Babbitt was faked. He said, quote, once the Ashley Babbitt psyop falls, the whole thing becomes undone. He said that, adding he believed there were, quote, hundreds, if not possibly thousands of government informants in the crowd that day. Hostetter also said he believes that Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes, who is, by the way, serving 18 years in federal prison, is a government asset. Hostetter will be required to report to prison by January 5th. After the hearing, Babbitt's mother, Mickey, uh, I think, Witheft is her name, confronted him in the hallway. She got a meeting with former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy this year and frequently attends January 6th court hearings, and she told Hostetter that her daughter was, in fact, dead. Quote, I assure you she is dead, she said. What the fuck is it you're trying to say? Hostetter said, was she cremated? And uh, Babbitt's mom said, you need help, you arrogant shit. So, all right. Next up from NBC4. The Biden administration on Thursday opened the door to seizing the patents of certain costly medications from drug makers in a new push to slash high drug prices and promote more pharmaceutical competition. The administration unveiled a framework outlining the factors federal agencies should consider in deciding whether to use a controversial policy known as march-in rights to take patents for drugs developed with taxpayer money and share them with other pharmaceutical companies if the public can't reasonably access the medications. Doing so could lead to the development of lower-priced generic alternatives, which could cut into key drug companies' profits and reduce costs for patients. For the first time, officials can now factor in a medication's price in deciding to break a patent. That means the law says if the public can't reasonably access a medication it helped fund to create and develop, if that price is too high, they don't have reasonable access. So we can seize the patent, give it to other companies, and they can make generics. It's unclear whether and how federal agencies will use the march in rights under the new framework. Notably, quote, no agency to date has exercised the policy, which came about under the Bay Dole Act of 1980, 
A senior administration official said this during a call with reporters on Wednesday. But the administration will make it clear that when drug companies won't sell taxpayer-funded drugs at reasonable prices, we will be prepared to allow other companies to provide those drugs for less. Amazing. The administration's announcement follows a nearly nine-month review of the federal government's march-in rights, which aimed to update the framework for using the policy. It also came as President Joe Biden makes lowering U.S. drug prices a key pillar of his health care agenda for re-election in 2024. Political pressure has pushed healthcare companies to launch their own efforts to lower drug prices. CVS on Tuesday unveiled a new prescription drug pricing model, which could potentially cut costs for patients at the pharmacy counter. Nearly three in 10 Americans struggle to pay for the drugs they need. That's according to a July survey from health policy research organization, KFF. And some research suggests that U.S. patients spend about $1,200 more per person on prescription medications than those in any other nation. Yet taxpayers have spent tens of billions of dollars to fund hundreds of drugs in the last decade, which the Biden administration believes could justify government action. Meanwhile, the pharmaceutical industry's largest lobbying group slammed the Biden administration's push to exercise marching rights in a statement. This would be yet another loss for American patients who rely on public-private sector collaboration to advance new treatments and cures. That's a spokesperson for the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, which represents drug makers like Pfizer, Eli Lilly, and Johnson & Johnson. They went on to say the administration is sending us back to a time when government research sat on a shelf not benefiting anyone. Fuck you, you guys. The White House feigned disappointment about the lobbying group's stance in a post on Twitter. Oh no, we've upset Big Pharma again. That's what the White House said. Next up from Frank Thorpe at NBC, a bipartisan group of senators resumed border talks Thursday offering faint hope that Congress can craft and pass a broad legislative package that would include aid for Israel and Ukraine, uh, the Indo-Pacific and the border before the end of the year. The lead negotiators, that's Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, Senator, and James Lankford, Republican from Oklahoma, met Thursday afternoon. Lankford and a Democratic source familiar with the negotiations told NBC News about the meeting. The meeting did not yield a final result, but a new proposal was discussed. It took place in the basement hideaway office of Senator Kirsten Cinema, who has also been involved in the effort. Quote, they are back at the table. Negotiations are back, the Democratic source said. Republicans presented us a proposal. We're still digesting it. There's still a lot of daylight between the two sides. The source said conversations will continue remotely on Friday and into the weekend as senators left D.C. for the week on Thursday. Amazingly, we have phones and the internet and email and everything else, so we'll continue to stay in contact. That's what Lankford said. We're going to continue to talk, said Chris Murphy. The negotiations had stalled last Friday and are resuming a day after the Senate failed to advance an Israel-Ukraine aid bill over Republican objections that it lacked immigration policy changes. By the way, quote-unquote immigration policy changes, shutting the border down to asylum seekers, putting kids back in cages, uh, you know, revoking the taking you know the fam- putting that family separations thing back into place. It's terrible. It's horrible. So those are the policy changes. Now, Langford, another Republican, said Joe Biden's remark on Wednesday that he was willing to make significant compromises on the border in order to secure money for Ukraine. That helped bring the two sides back to the table. Quote, the White House made a very clear statement. Hey, let's actually get something resolved. Ukraine's too important not to be able to do this. So that's Lankfurt talking. He went on to say, 
uh, I did think it was helpful for him to be able to make that statement. And I reciprocated right back to the White House. I hear you. We're not trying to be able to over ask either. Cinema, speaking with KVOA in Tucson, said the bipartisan group is making progress, but there's still a long way to go. She also called on colleagues to come to the middle and solve the crisis together. But with Congress set to leave town for the year at the end of the week, Langford admitted that they would likely need to add more legislative days if they wanted to finish the deal before the holidays. There's a week left on the schedule, but we've added weeks before, Lankford said. Some senators are not so optimistic that the group can reach an agreement that's needed to unlock passage of the entire package before next year. Quote, I just don't think it's realistic to expect they're going to uh, take it up and pass it, especially if they're planning on leaving. That's John Cornyn from Texas. So I think we're unfortunately looking at a January exercise, he said. Tom Tillis agreed. I, for one, think it's unlikely that we get it done by Christmas, but hope I'm proven wrong. During a press conference earlier Thursday, Lindsey Graham said it was time for Biden to be part of negotiations. These negotiations need to change. The president should be involved. He is responsible for the situation more than any member of the House or the Senate. Okay, so the president is more responsible for passing legislate on the border. I don't, Lindsey Graham, I swear to God. He went on to say he's the commander in chief. And when it comes to securing our border, our commander in chief, Joe Biden, is AWOL. Oh, for God's sake. Lankford said he's been speaking to White House staff throughout the process. He agreed the president needs to be part of the negotiations, but he declined to specify what it would involve. The White House has to be engaged in this, Lankford said. If the White House isn't engaged in negotiations, then nothing's going to get done. And... Last up, my favorite Sister Act sequel. This is from Reuters. A group of Catholic nuns on Tuesday sued the board of Smith & Wesson to try to force the gunmaker to abandon the manufacture, marketing, and sale of assault-style rifles that have been used in U.S. mass shootings. The nuns, in a lawsuit filed in state court in Nevada, allege that Smith & Wesson's directors and senior management exposed the company to significant liability by intentionally violating federal, state, and local laws and failing to respond to lawsuits over mass shootings. And as shareholders now, they can sue in that capacity. Quote, these rifles have no purpose other than mass murder, the nuns said in a statement. The group of nuns filed the lawsuit as the, in their role as Smith & Wesson shareholders in what is known as a, a derivative lawsuit. Such lawsuits seek to hold corporate boards liable for breaches of their duties to shareholders, kind of like when shareholders got real mad at Elon Musk at Tesla and Twitter. Although courts generally find boards are protected from lawsuits from good faith decisions, I'll be discussing this along with the history of uh, nuns doing this kind of work. A little later in the show, but I do have one more story for you, but we need to take a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. By now, you've probably heard of microdosing. Well, I'd like to talk about microdose gummies, a science meets wellness approach to better health and finding that sweet spot of focus and relaxation where you're at your best. It's that moment of peace. You can slip into a zone of comfort. It's a a little bit of focus that makes everything easier and more relaxing. Microdosing helps get you there and, and stay there in that zone. It's completely awesome. I absolutely love it. Microdose sent me my gummies so I could learn more about getting into the zone. And you can try it too. Go to microdose.com and use code DAILYBEANS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Of course, I had my doubts at first, but microdose gummies have been a real benefit to my life. Uh, I've always been cautious with supplements or using THC, but their blend of ingredients is just enough to help me without getting any side effects. A half a gummy eases me into relax mode, chill zone, the chill zone, the chill station, <laughs> cutting through cutting through the day's tension, 
without any mental fog. And by come bedtime, one gummy, I'm off to dreamland, undisturbed until morning. They sweep away the worry. They loosen up tightness in my shoulders. I unclench my jaw. They help me see the world in a more vibrant way, not just shades of gray. It's like flipping the off switch on that constant inner chatter, leaving me in a serene state, alert, but at peace. It's awesome. I can't recommend them enough. There's no reason to wait. Try these gummies today. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code DAILYBEANS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com code daily beans microdose.com code daily beans for 30% off and welcome back more breaking news this just in it is a nine count felony indictment for tax evasion uh against hunter biden so as i expected well it was either that or jaywalking uh, but the tax charges have been brought in the southern district of california we will go over those um uh, what shows? I'd probably probably go over them on the beans on Monday in more detail, but definitely um, in depth on cleanup on all forty five next Wednesday. All right, everybody. Um, I have one more story, and this one this one hits hard. Let me play you a, a clip from this story. It's a hard it's a hard time, um, you know, even with you know, being hopeful with um, the decision that came from the hearing this morning, there's, there's still, we're going through the loss of a, of a child. There's no outcome here that I take home my healthy baby girl, you know, so um, it's hard, you know, just, uh, you know, grief, but um, I think that, um, you know, joy and grief can coexist and there's, you know, more, there's moments of joy. I said, I'm really grateful for my wonderful two children that I have and my wonderful family. And, um, you know, it's a moment of sadness, but we really have a wonderful life here in our, in our home state. And so, you know, I just try to count my blessings. That was 31 year old Kate Cox appearing on NBC. She is 20 weeks pregnant. And late last month, she found out her developing fetus has trisomy 18. That's an extremely rare chromosomal disorder likely to cause stillbirth or the death of the baby shortly after it's born. A judge in Texas today issued an emergency order allowing the woman to get an abortion. She had to seek permission from the court to seek medical care. Texas law prohibits almost all abortions, with limited exceptions. So on behalf of Cox, her husband, and her doctor, lawyers with the Center for Reproductive Rights filed a request for a temporary restraining order that would block the state's abortion bans in Cox's case and enable her to terminate her pregnancy. Cox's two children were delivered by C-section, so carrying this pregnancy to term and getting a third C-section could put her at risk for multiple serious medical issues. Cox said in the interview that she and her husband wanted to have a third child and never imagined they would be in this position. She said she felt that being forced to continue the pregnancy with, quote, the pain and suffering and risks that go along with it, I think it's cruel. I really would love another baby, she said, so I'm hopeful for my health and the health of our family. Now, during the hearing in court, Duane argued that Cox was at high risk for multiple pregnancy complications, including hypertension, gestational diabetes, and infection, and said that within the last two days, Cox had to visit an ER for a fourth time for pregnancy symptoms, including severe cramps, leaking fluid, and elevated vital signs. 
Many of Ms. Cox's health risks during this pregnancy will put her life in danger if left untreated, and carrying this pregnancy to term will significantly increase the risk to her future fertility, meaning that she and her husband may not be able to have more children in the future. That's a quote from Duane. State District Judge Maya Guerra Gamble quickly granted the requested order, which also allows Cox's doctor to perform the abortion without fear of prosecution by the state. Quote, the idea that Ms. Cox wants desperately to be a parent, and this law might actually cause her to lose that ability, is shocking and would be a genuine miscarriage of justice, the judge said. And that pisses me off the most. That this emergency abortion was granted by a court because she wants to be a parent again. That's haunting. What if she didn't want to be a parent again? What if she just didn't want to die? Or have a stillborn baby? Or just make her own medical decisions? And wasn't looked at by the state as just cattle, a womb, an incubator. You know, personally, uh, I'm, as of today, 23 days away from officially being menopausal. On January 1st, it'll be 12 months since the start date of my last period. That's how they draw the line. And it's been very difficult to face, but also a relief. I'm no longer looked at as breeding stock for Republican men. That might make me totally useless to them, but I guess I'd rather be useless than a target of, for forced birth in a post-row America. You know, recently, during a Patreon Zoom call, someone requested I should reach out to people I know, messaging people, messaging people at the White House, people I know, to get the word out somehow that can show people what a future under a dictator would look like. But with what happened in court today, this isn't some possible dystopian future. It's happening right now. Now, Jonathan Stone, who's an attorney with the Texas Attorney General's office, who represented the state in the hearing, argued that Cox and her husband had not sufficiently demonstrated that they would suffer immediate and irreparable injury without an abortion. Quote, the only party that's going to suffer an immediate and irreparable harm if the judge grants the requested order is the state. That's what he said. Stone pushed instead for an evidentiary hearing, saying an emergency order would lead the couple to get an abortion that can't be undone before the court could fully consider the evidence. <laughs> In a statement Thursday afternoon, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said the judge's order will not insulate hospitals, doctors, or anyone else from civil and criminal liability for violating Texas's abortion laws. This includes first-degree felony prosecutions. It also does not prohibit private citizens or a district county attorney from enforcing Texas's abortion law against Cox's doctor or anyone else, Paxton said, adding that the judge's order will expire long before the statute of limitations for violating Texas's abortion laws expires. <laughs> In a letter to three Texas hospitals where Cox's doctor had practiced, Paxton warned that if the facilities uh, did this, they could be found liable for negligently credentialing her or for failing to exercise appropriate professional judgment in allowing the doctor to perform an abortion. Two of the hospitals did not immediately respond to requests for comment, while the third said it's not involved in the lawsuit. Paxton added that the lawsuit and the judge's order, quote, failed to establish that Ms. Cox qualifies for the medical exception to Texas's abortion laws. 
In response, Mark Heron, who's a senior counsel at the Center for Reproductive Rights, said in a statement, fear-mongering has been Ken Paxton's main tactic in enforcing these abortion bans and that he is misrepresenting the court's order. In an earlier news conference, Duane said, every day of this ordeal has been agonizing for Cox. I want to emphasize how unforgivable it is that Kate had to beg for health care in court. No one should have to do this, she said. The reality is that 99% of people cannot. Duane also called the state's arguments callous in the extreme. Quote, they want Kate to suffer, to put her health at risk, and to give birth to a stillborn baby or be forced to watch her child suffer for the few short moments of her life, she said. That is a decision that only a family should be able to make on their own. Trisomy 18 is a severe genetic condition. It occurs when a fetus has an extra copy of chromosome 18. The anomaly is random, occurring in about one out of every 2,500 pregnancies. It's according to the Cleveland Clinic. At least 95% of fetuses with a condition don't survive full term, meaning pregnancies end in miscarriage or babies are stillborn. Infants born with trisomy 18 have many birth defects, which can cause life-threatening consequences. Almost 40% don't survive labor, and less than 10% live past their first year. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe in June of 2022, more than a dozen states have banned abortion or no longer have facilities where women can receive the procedure. In another lawsuit in Texas, the Center for Reproductive Rights sued on behalf of two OBGYNs and 20 women who were denied abortions while experiencing severe and dangerous pregnancy complications. That case seeks to clarify which situations qualify for medical exemptions under Texas abortion laws. The state Supreme Court heard arguments last week, and a lower court issued a ruling in the plaintiff's favor that blocked Texas's ban from applying in situations like theirs. But Cox's case, though, is one of the first of its kind. Very few pregnant women have sought emergency court orders to receive an abortion. Duane said after the hearing that for many people, traveling outside the state for an abortion, especially during a medical emergency, isn't an option. Quote, Kate wants to be able to receive health care in her own community and a place where she feels comfortable. She's a lifelong Texan and her whole family lives here. It's just... Um... Hard to imagine what she's going through. I'm really, I'm really quite speechless. But I'm going to talk to John Fugelsang about this and a few other things from the news this week. And that'll be right after this break. And then we'll follow it up with the good news. I need your good news. Please send me your good news. Dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is Friday, which means it's Fugelsang Friday. So I'm here with my friend, host of the Tell Me Everything show on Sirius XM Progress, channel 127, weeknights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And of course, you can get that in podcast form for free wherever you get your podcasts if you do not subscribe to Sirius. So that's pretty awesome. Please welcome my friend, John Fugelsang. Hi. Allison, how you doing? You know, the last time I saw you, I realized last time I was on your show was a week ago when George Santos and Kevin McCarthy were still showing up for work. So <laughs> and Kissinger was still showing up. So it's been an eventful seven days. It has been an eventful seven days. It is surprising how fast the news comes at us. But you are my religious expert. And I wanted to talk to you about a couple of religious things. Okay. First of all, <laughs> a coalition of nuns. 
Okay. And I know we didn't talk about this, like, you know, off offline here yet. It just, it, I was just reminded of a coalition of nuns bought a bunch of stock in Smith and Wesson. Yeah. So that they could sue them to stop producing the, their AR-15 rifles. Yep. And I think that this is pretty awesome. What do you, like, uh, nuns, guns, resistors, resistors. I love it. I, there's so many cool things here. What do you, what are your thoughts? I, I love this story. And by the way, nuns have been doing this for decades. American nuns have been doing this kind of civic, corporate, capitalistic activism. And uh, it makes me happy on so many levels. It makes me happy for spirituality, for democracy, and for capitalism, because they're doing the right thing every step of the way. The whole goal is to get on these, to, to you know, buy all this stock and then be able to show up to shareholder meetings and actually confront CEOs to their face about what they're doing. But these nuns have gone a step further, and they're actually suing the board of Smith & Wesson to try to force them to stop making guns that are designed just to kill people. Now, I, I love this story because in the last few years, as assault weapons, as they're called, I know right now there's a lot of right-wing guys saying, yeah, you don't even know what the assault weapons means. What does AR stand for? What does AR stand for? You know how they get. Uh, <laughs> but there's been this big spiritual movement among right-wing people to quote Luke 22 and say that this is proof that Jesus is pro-AR-15. This is the story where he turns wine into whoop-ass. Luke 22, where Jesus says, sell your cloak and buy a sword. And, and that's all the evidence you need to know that Jesus is a trigger-happy gun nut. And this has been, like, spread all over the place by all these fun-loving, gun-loving, father-and-the-son-loving Christians. But it's a, but it's a metaphor. Oh, not even a metaphor. No, it's a literal quote. But just like the Second Amendment, when they forget the phrase, well-regulated militia, they have to take Luke 22 dramatically out of context to make their argument. Because here's the story, and I'll make it really quick. This is uh, the night Jesus is arrested. He's in Gethsemane with the apostles, and they're, they're, they're getting ready. The soldiers are coming, and Jesus says how the prophecy dictates that we're supposed to be criminals. He was numbered among the transgressors. And he says, so we have to have some swords on us so we can be arrested. So go sell your cloak and buy a sword. They say, well, Jesus, we have two swords. Jesus says, oh, well, in that case, you don't have to buy anything. We're all good. And then the soldiers show up to arrest him. Jesus commands his followers not to fight back, to practice no self-defense. He surrenders to the authorities nonviolently and says, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And he goes voluntarily after forbidding self-defense. And the gun nuts take this one little clause, <laughs> sell your cloak and buy a sword. And literally, you can Google this, they're having this inscription engraved on rifles and pistols now. People are using Bible out of context to convince them that they're somehow doing the Lord's work by letting civilians, emotionally disturbed males in their early 20s, own machines designed to kill lots of humans really fast. So what these nuns are doing is not just deeply political, it's deeply spiritual, because they're actually showing what Christianity is about. Jesus never once talks about abortion, never condemns gay people, but he does say he who lives by the sword will die by the sword and preaches nonviolence his entire career. I, I love it. Here endeth the sermon. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So the opposite of yeah. what they think. Yeah. Okay. The exact opposite. But this is 
literally the gun manufacturers have been using Luke 22 to try to garner more support for the cause. And it works because people look on the Bible like a mirror and they see what they want to see. They believe what they want to believe. And most people create God and Jesus in their own image. So whoever they hate, that's who Jesus winds up hating. And whatever military grade hardware for civilians they like, Jesus must like that too. He killed dinosaurs with it, you know. Oh, right. Well, he rode one. He fought, yeah. And fought and fought off T-Rexes with an AR-15. I think his name was Cochise, his dinosaur's name. Um, but I, I can't be sure because, of course, I mean, he would name Jesus. It makes sense. It stands to reason Jesus would name his dinosaur after John Wayne's horse. <laughs> of course. Being the huge John Wayne fan that he was. Right. And, and that's obviously it's somewhere else in Luke, I think. But I, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. More on the religious train here. Uh, Mike Johnson yes. said God spoke to him and uh, said that he will be the Moses that leads us through the red something, I, you know, not see, but something re referring to, uh, but also way out of context. And I uh, was wondering your thoughts on this, because my first thought was, you know, in the three amigos, when they go out and look for the singing bush and they have to summon the invisible swordsman. I mean, this is kind of, this is sort of the level of what I'm thinking is happening here. Uh, but then, you know, maybe he accidentally shoots the invisible swordsman. I mean, he said, the Lord told me very clearly to prepare to become a Moses who will lead the nation through a Red Sea moment. Um, if he really believes that, he's insane. But either, either way, uh, this is what spiritual narcissism looks like. I mean, first off, I, I always say trust anybody who's seeking the truth. Don't trust those who claim they have it. And I'm really ready for our media to stop pretending that Mike Johnson is a Christian just because he keeps bragging that he is. Uh, to me, you know, I, I, I keep saying if you're in a Rolling Stones cover band and you brag that you're in a Rolling Stones cover band, but you never actually sing anything the Rolling Stones wrote, you need to find a new name for your group. And there's nothing Mike Johnson fights for. And I'm, I'm asking everyone, go look through his record in the House. When has he ever fought for anything that's actually something the brown-skinned, homeless Jewish Nazarene from Palestine talked about in the Bible? This is all American Christianity fan fiction. All of this anti-birth control, anti-abortion rights, anti-LGBT stuff, none of it comes from the guy this guy pretends to follow. So we have to call them out. And again, the last time I heard an American political figure at this level saying that God told him to do something, you know when it was? It was George W. Bush when he said that God told him to invade Iraq, which had never attacked us. And so it ties right into me to both Israel and Palestine right now. If you put extreme religious conservatives in power, it doesn't matter what religion they are, they will wind up doing the opposite of what their religions actually teach. Yeah, well, we saw it in a courtroom in Texas this morning when a woman had to get a restraining order against the state and get the court's permission to exercise her uh, free right over her own uh, bodily autonomy. Uh, uh, she basically uh, has a, a fetus inside of her that has trisomy 18 that will not survive and is killing her. And she had to go get permission to have a procedure yeah. to save her life and save her ability to procreate later. And the state is actually trying to stop her from doing this. Like they want to file an appeal. And it's just, you know, everyone's like, this is the future that Republicans want. I'm like, this happened today. They're this so is the present. Life, they want to force her to have a baby that will suffer and die. 
That's how pro-life they are. And, and prevent her from possibly having future children. Well, and that was the judge's final argument. The judge, who is a, who is Democratic, um, sided with uh, her lawyers. Her name's Kate Cox, right? She's 20 weeks pregnant. And they said this abortion is necessary to protect her from a potentially dangerous birth, because let's not forget, childbirth is more dangerous and pregnancy is more dangerous than abortion in all 50 states. And also because this was to help her preserve her future fertility. For all these people that want to talk about individual rights and liberties and freedoms, it never really extends to a woman's body. And and uh, so I think this is incredibly positive. I hope it becomes a very famous story. And I hope we more see the judicial branch fighting back against the un-American excesses of the Trump administration, because that's what this is. Just like judges saved our democracy countless times when this guy was in office, they're still doing it. Yeah. Well, the, uh, you know, I, I just think back to the spooky phrase, death panels, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, uh, and that's what this is, uh, like literally. quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. Quite literally. And again, you know, it comes down to liberty. I don't think and, and this is when you're when your listeners talk to your conservative loved ones or, or neighbors or co-workers, it's all comes down to does the government, does the state have the right to force a taxpaying American citizen to be pregnant if that citizen doesn't want to right. go ahead and, and fight to incarcerate women for it. But don't tell me you're about individual freedoms and liberties and don't tell me you're doing it because Jesus told you. Yeah, exactly. Because he never did. Uh, let's get back to uh, Mike Johnson and his his Congress. We have a couple of things going on. First of all, McCarthy's calling it quits. Bill Johnson's going to leave in the beginning of 2024. That uh, Santos was expelled. And that's going to uh, take us down to a one vote margin uh, majority for for the Republicans. And now Matt Gates is under investigation. Uh, that race uh -huh. ramping back Say up. Say it slower. Say it slower. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> from the ethics committee there they've started interview witnesses uh but not yet joel greenberg or the 17 year old he raped or Correct. the ex-girlfriend who has that maybe that'll come later and i uh, you know i'm 100 percent certain that the republicans won't vote to expel their one vote uh that that keeps right. them in the majority no matter what happens um but right. here we are and it's chaos and now the republicans in the senate and the house say we're not going to vote for aid to ukraine indo-pacific israel uh because of the um the poison pill that republicans want to add with regard to the border and, and and president biden's like i'll fund the border but you know i'm not gonna put up razor wire and shoot people in the like i'm not gonna do like a <laughs> you know a, a stephen miller dhs special uh for you we aren't going to close our borders to asylum seekers another biblical uh, thought there to to turn away our neighbors in need that's right uh, so again just this i'm it's a moses time i'm moses i'm like moses but you know fuck the poor fuck the sick always. fuck the asylum seekers always they never actually fight listen i, I again with when it comes to these people as christians name one jesus teaching that the Republican Party has fought for this century. A ask your loved ones who are Republican. One actual thing Jesus talked about. Welcome the stranger. <laughs> no. Uh, individuals and nations must care for the poor, must care for the sick. Uh, no. How about be kind to those in prison? Well, uh, some will say Trump passed the First Steps Act, and that sort of is being kinder people in prison. But we know that Trump only did that to try to get more black votes and was furious 
that it didn't give him what he wanted. Um, and then, you know, pay your taxes. No, don't execute people. No, this party is not just Christian. They legislate against the religion they pretend to follow. Saddling people with debt burden exactly. and high interest rates that should be forgiven on a weekly basis, according to scripture. You know, and Kevin McCarthy deserves all of this. I'll tell you, you know, like he, he we sat through all, what was it, 15 votes, 15 votes uh, in the same room where he voted to throw out our votes. We sat through these 15 votes. He, he came in promising all these great new things and their entire plans for inflation and immigration and crime were all Hunter Biden's laptop, Hunter Biden's laptop. And now he's the only speaker in history to be voted out of a job. And it serves him right. I always say, if you feed Nazis, the Nazis will see you as food and eat you. And that's exactly what happened. But I think what Kevin McCarthy did was prove that it really is a cult of selfishness, this whole party, because by saying he's going to leave the House, he showed he hates Republicans. Kevin doesn't care. He doesn't care about people in Bakersfield who sent him to serve. He doesn't care about conservative ideology. He doesn't care about any of the issues he fought for, doesn't care about the Republican Party, doesn't care about the balance of power. He cares about himself. He is exactly like George Santos. He is exactly like Donald Trump. The Republican Party's ethos is pushing selfishness. And as John Kenneth Galbraith said in 67, the modern conservative is engaged in one of mankind's oldest pursuits, the search to make selfishness seem like a virtue. So the entire party is all about selfish people promoting selfishness with a selfish tax policy. And Kevin McCarthy just went and proved it. He did the young guns, all three of them. Remember, we had to sit through all the headlines, yeah. about Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor and Kevin McCarthy, all three of them appeal to the worst racists in their party cynically to get power. And all three of them were eaten alive by the same right wing fringe they fed. Yeah. And, you know, th this whole thing about they only they only care about themselves. Rick Grinnell posted this morning. Loyalty to Biden, good. Loyalty to Obama, good. Loyalty to Clinton, good. Loyalty to Trump, unqualified, all white sycophants undermining democracy. And I responded, I think that the premise of your tweet is based on your fascist worldview. Dems don't have loyalty to people. Exactly. It's not about loyalty. And Trump's not about loyalty. It's about obedience. They are we have loyalty to the Constitution, yeah. to our oaths of office if we if we occupy an office. And I said, your entire tweet is based on your authoritarian belief that people should be loyal to politicians and not the country. Your fascist worldview has skewed your ability to even understand that. He's not even coming from a place of understanding, thinking and assuming that Dems are loyal to, to oh, politicians when we're not. Show me a Democrat who got angry for five minutes when Hunter Biden got indicted. We're like, go ahead, please, and investigate the business dealings of all presidential kids. Come on. I mean, you think there's going to be any Democrats if Joe Biden loses next year saying Kamala Harris, what she ought to do is get some fake electors to come in and she'll register them instead. Like none of this is happening. Democrats aren't in a cult. Oh, Biden didn't get big crowds at his rallies because Democrats aren't in a cult. Democrats are representing the rest of America. Y'all are representing your mean, little, mostly white club. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, you sp spoke about uh, caring for the sick. And uh, today, President Biden announced a new policy saying, uh, under my administration, there's a new proposal today. If Big Pharma will not make taxpayer-funded drugs accessible to the public, we are prepared to use existing laws to allow competitors to make and sell those drugs for less. Your thoughts? Beautiful. I mean, right down, to just, uh, and by the way, a perfect tweet. Can we just celebrate that? 
by referencing up top taxpayer funded drugs accessible to the public. I'm sorry, but if we the people pay to develop these drugs, then they should be regulated like the airwaves because we the people own them. So I think what Biden is doing is fantastic. This new plan is going to end big pharma's price gouging by letting our government license drugs to new drug makers if they're not being sold at a decent price. This is also known as capitalism. This is also known as a free market. Why the hell do we call ourselves a free market if we're not allowed to import cheaper drugs from Canada? It's ridiculous and it's a racket. And it's one of the reasons why America has always been an island of grifters. We're separated from the rest of the world. They can't believe our grifty for-profit healthcare system, but we're isolated enough. These predators can get away with it. So what Joe Biden is doing is huge. I mean, Capping insulin at 35 bucks uh, for Medicare, huge. Uh, getting the big three to negotiate drug prices at all. Hearing aids over the counter. I mean, this old man's getting stuff done. And this is deeply impressive. And it should be the biggest story in the world. Yeah, it should be. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time today. Everybody tune in to Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Progressive. Channel 127, weeknights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. And of course, wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to The John Fugelsang Show. Thank you so much, Allison. I just want to say the nicest thing I can say about Henry Kissinger is he's going to have a much better 2024 than Donald Trump. Take care. <laughs> and I'm truly sorry you didn't get your wish for George Santos to remain in Congress. Uh, that's friend. OK. That's OK. You know what? When God closes a George Santos comedy door, he opens up a Matt Gates comedy window. Yes. And an Andy Ogles comedy thing, because now <laughs> Phil Williams, Phil Williams is on the case and you do not mess with Phil Williams uh. in Tennessee. <laughs> so thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections, and we have some great corrections today, if you have a shout out to a loved one, uh, if you want to play guess the animal, guess the breed, whatever it is you want me to guess, and, and Dana will be back too very soon and she can help me, uh, you can send that to us as well. If you have a shout out for a small business in your area that could use some support, especially during the holiday season, where's a good place to get the greatest holiday gifts that you can think of? Send that information to us too. Um, if you uh, if you have a small business and you're selling great holiday gifts, I want to know about it. All that you can send to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Lisa, pronoun she and her. I love y'all so much. I recently subscribed to Clean Up as well. Thank you, Lisa. Quick correction. Nevada Attorney General Aaron Ford is a Democrat. If you were Republican, that would have been really a big story. I'm happy to not be mad at him anymore after he announced a while back that he wouldn't be pursuing the fake electors. Thanks for providing regular doses of information that I can stop being mad about. For pod pet tax, my retired husband's new hobby of colored pencil art using my beautiful grand dog Goose as a model. I bet you can guess the breed. Lisa, thank you. I thought because they refused to prosecute the fraudulent electors that your attorney general was a Republican. I had no idea your attorney general was a Democrat. I apologize for the error and look at the beautiful Australian Shepherd pencil drawing. That is really good. The blurred trees in the background are fantastic, especially with the sharp detail of the fur. It's like on the ears to in that contrast. That's amazing. That's beautiful. 
Good job. Anyway, thank you very much for that. Next up from Kristen, pronouns she and her. Thanks for making the bad news always a little bit more palatable and informative. I don't miss a day of your coverage, and I appreciate you both. In the area of sharing a small business, I wanted to tell you about my very, very small business that manufactures in the USA. In 2010, I launched this wild idea to make stainless steel toy keys when my second son was just nine months old. I now have five 100% stainless steel baby products that are all made in the United States. They are non-toxic, eco-friendly, and a great heirloom gift. From the start, I've been guided my by my desire to bring good into this world, so I stayed focused on manufacturing in the U.S., even when it meant not creating a slimmer margin for myself, because unfortunately, manufacturing with high-quality products in the USA is expensive, but I'm so proud to offer products that are thoughtfully made and support our U.S. economy through manufacturing. Also, I have employed people with developmental disabilities to help me with various steps along the way, and I give a large portion of sales, revenue, not profit because, well, you can guess that might mean nothing to environmental organizations. The day-to-day -day of everything for this small business, it's just me, myself, and I with a couple of cute dogs hovering around to make me keep me company. My mom is also a huge help when I go on vacation, but it's definitely all a labor of love for me. I love this, Kristen. I wanted to note I have the utmost respect for people working in government. Since the moment I had the idea, helpful people within the U.S. government, whether it was the Consumer Product Safety Commission or the Trade Department, have been there. Okay, that was a lot to share, but I hope the Beans listeners will check my products out. It's at cleankeyanimals.com. That's clean, C-L-E-A-N, key, K-E-Y, animals.com. In case the Leguminati does check me out, use promo code DAILYBEANS for 10% off. How cool are you? Here are the dynamic duo, Rocky, the little one is six years old, and Casco, the big one, 11 and a half. Shout out to my brother, Eric, in California for introducing me to the Beans Queens, and thank you for being you. I'm going to check this website out, cleankeyanimals.com. I'm wondering, it's stainless steel toy keys. Because like babies love to play with keys, right? I don't know. Is that what it is? I'm going to check it out for sure. Because what great gifts that will make. Um, thank you for being you, Kristen. Look at the puppy with the white eyebrows. That's adorable. And look at the golden. Hi, baby. Oh, and there is a baby enjoying the baby gift. So amazing. So beautiful. Um, and by the way, this isn't a paid ad, by the way, this, this is just a, this is just a patron writing in. So thank you so much. Beautiful baby as well. And, um, I'll, I'll send that along to Dana so she can enjoy baby photos on her vacation. Thank you so much. Next up, Brian pronouns he and him. It seems so obvious that Trump was an officer of the United States. Are we all missing something? Here's Lizzie, our golden doodle, as well as our 12-year-old straight A student. We couldn't be more proud of either of them. I'm also including a baby picture of my son because, I mean, have you ever seen such a beautiful baby? Keep up what you're doing. The fight is continuing, but victory is certain. Brian, yes, I love that. I love that hope. Is that a Wheaton? Golden doodle, you said. I'm sorry, golden doodle beautiful dog, beautiful child, extremely beautiful baby. Yes, you are correct. And I will send that one along to Dana as well so she can enjoy it. It's just a cute little cheekies. All right. Next up from Ellen L, a submission for what the shell or what the hell's in that shell. I was on vacation, came across this lovely and I knew I had to send it in. Hint, I was on a vacation in South Africa. Well, 
if that is any indication, actually, it's pretty kind of, it's kind of easy to tell by the shell on this guy because it's got a real nice leopard print to it, like kind of like my mom's favorite sweater to wear to Las Vegas. And so I'm going to guess leopard turtle. I don't know if they're a South African thing. I don't know where they generally live. I just, I hap, don't ask me how. I just happen to know because of that shell. Leopard tortoise. I'm sorry. I said turtle. So I didn't quite get it right. According to the kids book on African wildlife I picked up, they can live to a hundred and eat a variety of plants and not on old bones to get the calcium they need. <laughs> me too. Same. Thank you for sending that in. I love playing with the shell. Next up from Cervantes, you probably hear this from a thousand and one people regarding, I would have written a shorter letter if I had more time. The Colorado lawyer is ill-advised. According to a quote investigator.com, it was not Churchill. It was Pascal in the 1650s. Oh, who said that? Was it Andy? Was it Pete? I don't remember who said that. Anyway, in French, oh, you don't want me to pronounce this. It's Here it is in French, everyone. We'll put it in the show notes. Je ne fais, and yeah, no, I'm not going to go. Which pretty much translates to, I have made this longer than usual because I have not had time to make it shorter. He was apologizing to a friend for not having time to write him a shorter letter. Beautiful. Okay, link in the show notes for Quote Investigator for more information. Anyway, now that I'm writing, I might as well tell you that. Well, to keep it short, your voices are like clarions. How did we all get along without you for so long? Cervantes, thank you. And thank you for the correction. Pascal, not Churchill. Excellent. Sorry. Once again, just giving stuff to the English. Or, well, they come and take it a lot too. Anyway, thank you for that. Thank you, everybody, for sending in all this incredible stuff. So many great new gift ideas. I am definitely checking out clean key animals. What a cool idea. You know what my mom used to do? She just used to <laughs> go to thrift stores and buy wooden spoons and give those to babies. She just keep one around because babies love wooden spoons. No idea why. But she was right. They loved them. All right, everybody. I will be back in your ears on Sunday with the episode of Jack. There will be a bonus beans. I just recorded the bonus cleanup on all 45 with Pete. So you'll get both of those this weekend. The refried beans are so great this weekend. So enjoy those reruns. One of them is three years old. Uh, it's very fascinating, fascinating listen. They've got some great guests on there as well. I look forward to your feedback on the refried beans. If you guys are listening to refried beans and you have any um, observations you want to make, about how far we've come, I would love for you to send them into the good news and any other good news you have, dailybeanspod.com, click on contact. Thanks to John Fugelsang for Fugelsang Fridays. And everybody, please, until we meet again, please take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, take care of the planet, take care of your family, vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money 
that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.